National Geographic Documentary Films and Picture House present The Mission, the gripping story of John Chow, the American missionary killed attempting first contact with the indigenous peoples of North Sentinel Island. Hailed by Vanity Fair as one of the best documentaries of the year, a nuanced discussion of religion, pop culture, and colonialism, says IndieWire. The Mission, now playing in select theaters. Matt, why a podcast about documentaries? Documentaries are more popular and more widely available now than they ever have been in the past. Mm. You can find them, of course, on every streaming platform. People are talking about them. I think they're so much more embedded in the culture than they were in the past. Documentaries before, I think, were like broccoli. It's good for you. You, you know, eat it. You may not like it. But you'll learn something. Now we're seeing cinematic documentaries. They're pushing the form forward. They're doing such fascinating things and often changing the culture. So I think for all those reasons, it's it's the perfect time to be talking about documentaries on a podcast. It's like um, the Velveeta cheese has arrived to our broccoli. (laughs) Mm, Well, that would certainly be tastier. I would agree with you on that. But yeah, I think before, documentaries were sort of like textbooks with a few visuals. And, you know, they were meant to explain the world to you. And there are some that still do that. And we often, almost always learn something from documentaries. But I think now they are really part of cinema. Right. They, they are doing things in creative, interesting, engaging ways. And they are forms of entertainment. Yeah, I think for me, um, and I agree with you, we've arrived, unfortunately, to a place where I don't want to say facts don't matter, but people are so ready to deny facts. And what I appreciate about documentaries now is not only are they dispensing fact, but they do it in a way that is so highly emotive. And it's very hard to deny emotions. And when you put emotions in front of people, when these documentary storytellers are literally going out there and walking in the shoes of individuals and presenting in a way that I say, you know, it hits you in three places, in the head, in the heart, and in the gut, it becomes very undeniable. And I think, to your point, there there was never a a bad time to talk about documentaries, but I don't know that there has ever been a better time to talk about these necessary stories, but also talk with these filmmakers who bring a sense of style and bring um, such a, a, a personal perspective and a personal way of dispensing these stories. And over the last few years, as I've really immersed myself in documentaries, while I've, again, appreciated the facts, I've just been so impressed by true filmmakers, true filmmakers. And in my opinion, honestly, um, as someone who's worked around film, the when I see places where there's sometimes disregard for filmmaking in the narrative, I appreciate so many documentary storytellers who are self-starters, who have no regard for the system. They're going to not only dig those stories out of the ground, they're going to chase a style and aesthetic, irrespective of what any anyone else thinks or believes. I love documentaries. Now's the time to talk about them. And I think you make a great point about this critical moment we're in as a culture where facts often 
are being dismissed or somehow irrelevant. And I think the nonfiction form has always been tied to a factual presentation of reality at some level. It's an interesting subject to explore because documentary, in the end, is a subjective art form. Mm. So I don't think it can make a complete claim to objective truth, and I think most serious documentary filmmakers acknowledge that. They are approaching truth. They are finding creative ways to elucidate it. But I think underpinning it all is a desire to to reach common ground and to, well, to approach the truth in a way that we're not seeing, say, on social media right. or, or other conversations in the culture. So I think it's, it's quite vital in that respect. I see. You mentioned conversations. You have been doing this for many years at a high level in many different media forms. In Doc Talk, what sort of conversations are you hoping to have? Well, I want to have, I hope both of us have in-depth conversations where we're not simply saying, oh, here's a new film that's coming out, but we're really getting into what does this film have to say? How is the creative approach different, perhaps, than other films? Really get beyond the superficial to dig into the critical content, one might say, that these documentaries are sharing with the world. And I also think we should be getting into some of the hot-button topics that are very relevant to the documentary field. It's a tough time in some respects for documentary. Not as many documentary films are necessarily being acquired. There's a huge amount of documentary content out there, but not all of it is engaging in the most important topics of relevance to the culture. So we want to get, I think, get into the concerns that documentary filmmakers have. What are they thinking? What are they talking about? What do they want to know about? And doing that through speaking with experts and people who are practicing the craft. I think certainly one of the big things that's on the mind of every documentary filmmaker I speak with is the creative, new creative latitude that they have to explore their stories in some cases, they're doing dramatizations. They're taking big risks creatively. Often those pay off terrifically, I think, for an audience. But sometimes the, the sort of gatekeepers of the field or critical <laughs> gatekeepers are not open to that. So that's yeah. sort of an interesting area to explore, I think, as well. It is, and I, I, I don't want to make this about my perspectives. I certainly agree with you that there are gatekeepers out there. And, and you know, look, to a degree... Um, that's the world that we live in. But for me, it is about blowing open those gates. You talk about conversations. And one thing, and I really, I, I've learned this in my life, um, to be a good conversationalist, you really have to be good at listening. And to me, the exciting things about having these conversations is taking individuals who are telling other people's stories, sometimes their own. There's some really terrific documentaries, obviously, that the documentary storytellers are part of that story. Um, but they are having these conversations with other people. They are bringing perspectives. And for me, the opportunity to build an apparatus to deliver these stories, to help elevate these incredible filmmakers, sometimes, as you say, taking the stories that they are telling, literally the, the, the facts, the circumstances, what's going on in the world, and presenting that to people. But also, I find you know the, the documentary storytellers who are sometimes part of the narrative, which 
you know, the, the, the thing in journalism is, is a lot of times the journalist is not meant to be part of the story. But as you say, um, there's a personal element that continues to bleed into documentary storytelling that takes it to a different space. But that excites me to hear from these storytellers about why they chose that subject, about why they chose the mechanism to um, capture these stories, to dispense them, the ways they've done it. To me, that's really exciting to hear from, from filmmakers who's not only the work I admire, but again, that ethic that I'm just going to go out and tell this story. It's exciting to listen. It's exciting to hear. I certainly have questions that I intend to bring, and I certainly know from your background, you have questions. But to have that opportunity, and I've been in, in, in so many Q&As where it, it, it's more about the Q than the A, I'm excited about these answers. I'm excited about the conversation. I'm excited about the kinds of storytellers that we are going to have on Doc Talk every single week. And to your point, what I, I want to learn something from every guest we have, and that's actually why I, I love documentary, because I learn so much. There may be topics that I thought I knew about, but there are all, always revelations in well-made documentaries, and I look forward to hearing the thoughts and opinions and concerns of of people who are day-to-day -day in the field making documentaries, encountering the challenges. And I think in so many cases, they're really doing altruistic work to make the world a better <clears throat> Sorry about that. I think so many documentary filmmakers are pursuing the craft for altruistic reasons. They really want to make the world a better place. And I think that's fantastic. All right, so you talk about talking to folks, you've talked about guests. I don't mean to put you on the spot, Matt, but what guests, what kind of guests? In fact, who would be your dream guest to have on this show? Because I'm going to make it happen. All right, fantastic. I look forward to that. Well, I think certainly I can't limit it to one. Uh, one of my dream guests absolutely would be the filmmaker Brett Morgan. Mm who uh, has made so many fantastic films, Jane, about Jane Goodall, and his most recent documentary, Moon Age Daydream, possibly the best documentary ever made about music in a musician and David Bowie. Mm. What I love about Brett is every time you speak with him, it's a master class. He tells you so much about his process, which is incredibly meticulous, and I learned so much about how you make a documentary or how you can make one at the level that he does. So I absolutely love listening to him, and I learn so much. Another person, documentary filmmaker I would mention, who I think is just extraordinary, is Gianfranco Rossi, the Italian filmmaker who's been Oscar-nominated for Fire at Sea. Mm. He's someone who believes very much that documentary is cinema, and he says that Cinema is actually the subject of his films. You might think in the case of Fire at Sea, oh, it's about uh, refugees from the Middle East who are perishing in the Mediterranean. But he's making a film that's all about the craft of cinema in some respects. But when you listen to Gianfranco, it's a master class. He's so conceptual about what he does and absolutely fascinates me. So 
Brett Morgan and Gianfranco Rossi would be two of my dream guests. How about you, John? Who are your dream guests? I will be honest. I, I, I can't, and I, I, I wouldn't say I would go by name. My dream guests are those documentarians. They, they may not be the most well-known. Um, they may not have a history of, of nominations or uh, being at festivals, but they find a way. Um, there's a story that is just in their heart and in their soul. They don't have a, a, a deal at a, a streamer. They don't necessarily have the money. They don't have the backing of a, a studio or even a news division that wants them to go out and get that story. But they're going to do it. And I've seen documentaries that are super short, 5, 10, 15 minutes, that are incredibly powerful and artful. Um, same with 20-minute documentaries, same with 90-minute documentaries of individuals who've just said, there is a story here, and I'm going to find a way to bring this story to life. And to me, you know, somebody said to me once years ago, and it seems very fundamental, but um, the fundamental things are, are sometimes the most powerful when they're articulated. Um, you don't need Hollywood's permission to do the things that you want to do. And there are so many folks, many folks, and I, I don't say this to indict the community, who are, you know, waiting for that deal, waiting for that check, waiting for that permission to go out and whether, whether it's a narrative film, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, what have you, well, sure, I will go do this as soon as so-and-so gives me a check. Those individuals, um, and again, you've named some amazing filmmakers, and I'm sure they would go out and, and, and tell those stories no matter what. But it's that individual of any age, young, old, any background, who just has a story to tell. And against all odds, they tell the story. Um, those are the people who excite me the most. Um, as, as we've talked about, I, I feel like I'm, I'm benefiting from those conversations. I'm learning. And for me, as someone who works even just notionally around the craft, if I'm not learning, if I'm not discovering if I'm not in awe, you know, every single day, then what, what am I doing here? You know, why are any of us here if we're not on this continual journey of discovery? So when I'm talking to folks, I'm really in awe of them. If I'm uh, saying, you know, with, with this time and space, hey, here's a filmmaker that we should have on, I, I, I hope that it's not just the individual who was nominated. It's not just the person who got, uh, you know, the the three to five minute uh, round of applause at, at Venice. Nothing wrong with any of that. Nothing wrong with any of that. But I would so much rather have a conversation with the individual who's just driven by that passion, by that spirit of getting it done. It, it you know, maybe reminds me a little bit of me when I was younger. Um, but those are the things that we feed off of. Those are the things that we draft off of. And those are the things, I think, between the two of us that are going to help have conversations on a weekly basis that are insightful, that are energetic, and that really are praiseful of the most critical of content. And that, I think, we both agree on is documentary storytelling. Absolutely. And I'm looking forward every week simply to hearing what's on your mind because you're a person of strong convictions and opinions, but you're paying attention to what is going on in the culture in a way that I think is very important. So you, I want to hear what you, is on your mind because uh, it's very interesting 
And I think an audience really will enjoy hearing it. Well, thank you. That's going to be the big experiment to see if uh, between the two of us, I certainly know with your background um, in journalism, having been doing this for literally decades, your ability to get to the heart of a story, to excavate it in your own regard, your uh, knowledge, your love of documentary storytelling, um, I have no doubt that you're going to be able to get to the heart of the story and be able to speak to storytellers in a way that I think you know, I've been on the other end, as I've talked about, being in Q&As where, you know, look, not every interviewer has the time, has the capacity to really do a deep dive into the subject matter, into the individual, into what's being presented. I understand that. But I also understand those moments where you can tell the questions that are being asked. Look, there, there's some you're going to get no matter who's doing the interview, but you can tell that that sometimes people aren't as familiar even with the basics, as you wish that they were. Not just for me, not just about my own ego, but um, you put everything into a project. You really, really do. And I know with your history, with your knowledge, with your love, with your passion, that you have the unique ability to get to these stories in a way that um, I, I may be aggrandizing you, but I don't think a lot of people do. So to me, that's what it excites me. Uh, again, this partnership where I think between the two of us, we can do something really special, not just for us, not just for uh, the conversation's sake, but as you say, to really support what is right now, what is critical, which is telling these stories and telling these stories through documentary filmmaking. National Geographic Documentary Films and Picture House present the provocative new film, The Mission, from Emmy-winning directors Amanda McBain and Jesse Moss. The Mission tells the gripping story of John Chow, the young American missionary killed attempting first contact with the indigenous peoples of North Sentinel Island, examining how Chow's youthful thirst for adventure became a fatal obsession. Hailed by Vanity Fair as one of the best documentaries of the year, a nuanced discussion of religion, pop culture, and colonialism, says IndieWire. Compelling, says The Playlist. Riveting, says Deadline. The Mission, now playing in select theaters. I think uh, the phrase critical content has been key to your framing of this approach to documentary. And so I, I would love to know, what does the phrase critical content mean to you? I don't want to say that uh, other content, where it's, it's narrative, fiction is not critical. Um, and there's certainly a place in this world for just entertainment for the sake of entertainment. Lord knows we all need a good laugh, a good cry that comes from anywhere. But I do think right now in a space where you see news divisions that are contracting, when you see journalism that is unfortunately withering on the vine, um, again, individuals who want to tell stories, whether they are about the most charged issues that are happening, whether it's uh, across America, or around the world, um, whether they're stories that people are not talking about that they should be talking about, whether they're documentaries that just go inside individuals who we thought we knew, we, we, we thought we knew their story, but we had no idea 
what they've been through, what their lives have been like um, while they have been public-facing, maybe the private struggles that they had. All of those, to me, are critical. And in that nonfiction space, and in those spaces where other people won't go because they don't think it's important, because there's a risk to life and limb that many of us, including myself, I, I can't imagine myself taking to get those stories. Um, if we don't treat those stories as being critical, if we don't elevate those stories, those storytellers as being a really important part of our lives, of the journalism landscape, and as you say, even the entertainment landscape. Documentaries can be so very entertaining, but if we don't treat all of that as being critical, then I think we leave it to others to say that it's dispensable, that it's not necessary, that here's a space where, my gosh, if we're going to cut budgets, if we're going to pull back, if we're going to narrow the kinds of content, and I put content in quotes because I think as Martin Scorsese says, once you start calling it content, it becomes something less than what it really is. But if you treat it just like that and you're looking at a balance sheet going, well, here's what we can get rid of, then it is going to go away. But if we help people to understand why it is necessary, then I think we help keep it viable, keep it alive, and keep it present. And I think that, if I were going to say for me right now, where I am in life, that's maybe the best thing that I can try to do on a weekly basis, professionally speaking. I love that. And I think, you know, of course, you are very well known to people in Hollywood and outside of Hollywood as an Oscar winner for writing the screenplay to 12 Years a Slave. You've had a remarkable career as a director, as a writer, and often creating things in the narrative space. But you're also a documentary filmmaker. You made an extraordinary film, Los Angeles. You made an extraordinary film, which is Let It Fall, Los Angeles, 1982 to 1992, which won many awards, deservedly so. So you know what it is like to make a feature documentary and also one that is on such a complex but vital topic, in this case, of the L.A. uprising. Well, I I appreciate, A, I appreciate uh, just the shout-out. I feel like I did a documentary, and so I I don't know if that allows me to really be in the the club. I I could not be more proud of that. You are in the club. Well, I'm I'm certainly knocking on the door, and we'll see if anybody ever lets me in. But I will say this in all seriousness, what I appreciate about Let It Fall, um, it, it had very little to do with me, and it had so much to do with creating a space for people to tell their story and their voices. I remember being in Los Angeles, um, having just arrived to Los Angeles uh, in the early 90s, and being put in in, in, a, in a city that was so different than what I thought Los Angeles, what I thought Hollywood, what I thought Tinseltown would be. Um, I, I had come from New York. I had actually grown up in a, in a small town in the Midwest, and I think by demographics didn't really have to deal with race and issues of race because, you know, when you're, you know, that much of a sliver of the prevailing culture, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't have to deal with certain things. You, you should, but you don't have to. Um, went to New York. This was, you know, during the time of Bernie Getz and Howard Beach 
and really thought, okay, well now, you know, my God, I'm in New York and, and the race issues, but I thought this was such a cosmopolitan city. Left here, came to, left there, came to Los Angeles. And you believe that this is going to be a, a city that is, it, it's all the glitz and the glamour and all those kinds of things. And you realize that, no, that's superficial. And underneath, there are all these pressure points and all these fissures. But I saw them as a young black man in the, that time period. And then 25 years later, to be able to see the totality of Los Angeles, of the issues, through many lenses of demographics. And what happened in that uprising, yes, it, it affected black people most and brown people, but it affected all kinds of people. And the thing that I think that I'm most proud of, not just for me, but the partners that we had on Let It Fall, who told this story, was just providing a space where people felt safe to tell their stories and share some stories that were just painful, uh, just tragic. But at the same time, there was a commonality. These folks shared something and understood things that even today, when we see these issues of race, um, when we see these issues of community, community and policing, that sometimes I feel like we're, we're not even closer to solving Doing it once, whether I'm knocking on the door, whether I get to be in the club or not, it gave me such an appreciation of what it takes to tell these stories and a, and a personal satisfaction. Uh, and I'm proud of many of the things. And Matt, you're very kind to, to talk about some of the things that I've done. I don't know in the filmic space if there's anything I'm more proud of, but anything, and I mean this sincerely, not as humble brag, where I feel like I'm, I'm less of that story and that's good and that's okay. But the story that was told that was more necessary, more needed, and 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 even um, post the assassination of George Floyd, to be able to sit with my children and to watch that documentary. When I, I will be straight with you, I don't I don't sit and watch the things that I've done. The past is the past. There's no upside to watching or reading or viewing any of the things that I've done in the past. But to sit with your own children and say this is necessary, this is important, not because your dad did it but because of the people who chose to share their time, share their story, share their emotions every step of the way. And if we don't learn, if we can't learn from them, if we can't learn from the people who've been through this, then we're not going to learn. And I don't mean to get preachy and all that kind of stuff, but um, it almost broke my heart. As proud as I am and thankful as I am that, that ABC reared that documentary, it almost broke my heart that they felt that it was necessary to re-air that documentary post-George Floyd. Again, could not be more proud of it. I hope ABC never feels compelled that they have to air that documentary again. Supposed to maybe one day, hey, it's a nice piece of work. We got a hole in our schedule. Why not air it? But not compelled to air it because of what's going on outside in the world. Yes, and I think the subtitle to your film, Los Angeles 1982 to 92, is so critical because what you are doing as a filmmaker, as a documentarian there, is you are explaining why did Los Angeles explode. You need to rewind to 1982 and before even to, say, the Watts uprising. And this is what a documentarian, a committed documentarian can do. They can give context so that an audience understands these extraordinary events that occur and and to know why they have happened and so in that film you know you really 
in a beautiful, cinematic, and powerful way, explored those issues. And that's what excites me about documentary in general, is those filmmakers who are engaged with these critical issues, bringing light, bringing illumination to topics that maybe on the surface are, are, are opaque, or perhaps something that is in the past that we forgot about, or maybe never understood to begin with. You did that in your film, and I think that's what's exciting about the doc field is that we have so many talented filmmakers who are taking on challenging material, executing it with insight, with and dynamic creative choices. I love that about the field. Yeah, you're very kind about the film, and I will say, you know, I'm, I'm, all of us are only as good as our partners. I couldn't have done that with... Out so, without so many artisans who worked on that film and, and, and made it possible. I will also say I'm only as good as my partners, and that's why I'm so thankful to be partnered with you, Matt, and with Deadline. Um, you know, Deadline has carved out a space as being a voice of what's going on in Hollywood, of digging deep, of bringing news, of bringing information, of a journalistic sense to a lot of what we do, which is, and I don't want to say what we do is frivolous, but um, some of what we do, I think the world could could live without. Some of what we do is absolutely necessary. But Deadline treats all of it as being important and being worthy of bringing a journalistic sense to every story that they tell. So to be a part of this ecosystem, to be partners with, with Deadline, to be a partner with you, um, I will say uh, I, I started a form of the show years ago, and it was just sort of, you know, it, it was nice, and I don't want to say easy, but without expectation, it was, it was you know, it, it makes it easier to do when people expect a little of you. When we thought about bringing this, this format to a larger audience, I'll be very honest with you, I was, I was quite nervous. I, I take everything I do very seriously. I take talking to documentary storytellers very seriously. And when it starts to get into a space of journalism, I take that really seriously. So working with an organization that treats journalism seriously, working with a partner in UMAT, who is a journalist, that makes me feel very comfortable that each and every week on Doc Talk, we are going to be serious, sober. I think hopefully fun, entertaining in the sense that what we talk about, um, I, I hope, bring some insight to individuals and that these conversations um, excite people, educate people, and make people think a little bit. But to do that, knowing that I can do it with someone who cares, someone who's done it for a long time and has done it at such a very high level, trust me, as I think you know, and the conversations that we've had leading up to this moment Boy, I feel like um, this plane can fly, that the gentleman who is, and I'm going to put you in the pilot seat and let me be the co-pilot in this conversation, uh, I know you can fly this plane. So the distance travel, where we're going to go, how we're going to get there, I feel really, really good about it. I'm excited about it, and I'm really excited to bring Doc Talk to the public. Well, I think we're co-pilots, and <clears throat> an example of that is I was supposed to ask you, what does a partnership between no studios and deadline mean? And I dropped the ball and you picked it up. So <laughs> thank you very much. I, I skipped over my line. 
Well, again, you know, look, I, one of the things that I appreciate, whether it's my line or your line, is knowing that you're with somebody who loves it as much as you do. I mean, anything you do, yeah, you can do things solo. Um, I've had many great moments in my life solo, but I think about the ones where I've had the best experiences, where I've seen things that I perhaps would have missed. Again, I really mean it. At this point in my career, every time I walk onto a set, and, and, and you know, I, I feel like the more people speak my name, the more I realize they speak my name because of the people that I work with, whether it's the DP, the production designer, the line producer, certainly all the editors and the folks in Post who I work with. Post is my favorite part of filmmaking. Um, those are the folks who are often unsung, but they are so critical to the things that I do that other people go, oh, John, tell us about this and that you're working on. Well, maybe you should be talking to this person and that person because they may have been more critical to what I'm doing than, than, than my own participation in it. So I mean it sincerely, Matt. Um, when we started talking about bringing this to deadline, bringing what was critical content to deadline as doc talk, and I got to know you. I got to know you as a person. I got to know you as a journalist. I actually got to go back and read some of the things that you've done. And even as we 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 start doc talk, you know, I'm getting emails in my inbox where you're going, oh, you got to read this Q&A. Oh, I found this. You got to look at this. You know, I'm getting the, the prep that I would normally do where I get up and I'm nervous, which I, I love actually running on that nervous energy because if I'm not nervous, it means I don't care. So if I'm nervous, that means I care. When I get those emails in my inbox, they're from you and they're saying, oh, you're not even thinking about you. You may not be thinking about this, John, but here's something you should read. Man, it just puts me in the place where it helps me to feel like, okay, I can go out and do this. And I mean that sincerely. This is not just um, mutual admiration. It really is about the process. And I mean that. I mean that about whether I'm working on a set, whether I'm working on a graphic novel. It, it, I rely on the team. And the team that I have in Deadline, and there are folks behind the scenes who are making this work, uh, the team that we have at No Studios, who are working on this, editing this podcast, putting it together for us or with us on a weekly basis. Um, but I do look to your expertise so that then I can go out and go, oh, hey, there's this documentarian and they got this weird documentary and it's, it just, it makes no sense, but it's the most amazing thing that I've ever seen because it's about something and it says it in a very unique way. I know that I can do that when I have the partners and the partnership that allow me to be my best self. And I will say this, and maybe this is humble brag, I need a lot of people to help me be my best self. Oh man, that takes a village. Well, speaking of that village, I I appreciate the village listening to our conversation, knowing that they're <laughs> going to have to get out there. I cut this tools. down to two minute sound bite. <laughs> I'm Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline.com. I'm filmmaker John Ridley. Catch Doc Talk, a podcast by Deadline and No Studios on Apple Podcasts, iHeart, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm.